All right, this morning, uh, a lot of times people pick at me, you know, and they, they talk about all the stuff, uh, stuff I preach on. And, you know, and, and so this morning I'm going to preach on a very simple topic. I'm preaching on love. Is that okay? So it's Mother's Day. That should be a simple topic. Uh, but people who know me know that probably if I'm going to preach on love, it's probably not going to be as simple as, as, as a lot of it. So this morning I'm going to preach on the practice of love, practicing love. How do I, how is the practice of love, how does it work? Because when we look at the world today, the problem we're having is the understanding of love, the understanding of what love genuinely is. And so because of this, it's like any other thing that we talk about, if you, if you can't agree on a definition of something, it's very hard to sit down and have a conversation about it. If we're, if we're starting from two different definitions of what a word means, then it's impossible for us to come. And that's where the world is. They, you've got four different definitions for four different words, and everybody's trying to come to a conclusion of what's truth. Well, we need to first just kind of grasp what is love. Well, if you ask the world, and we look it up in the dictionary, and we just talk about what is love, here's what you're going to come up with. It's an intense feeling of deep affection. It's a feeling of deep romantic or attachment to someone. It is a great interest and pleasure in something. Now, someone might say, I love, uh, I love watching football. Uh, somebody else may say, babies fill parents with feelings of love. And we use love for a multitude of things. Another definition is a, it, it's to feel deep affection for someone. Or he loved his wife. It's to like or enjoy very much. No, what you notice about when you talk about love in the world is that love is mostly an emotion. It's mostly a feeling. And so if you're going to kind of keep going the world's direction, then we need to realize, then what does it mean when the world says, I, it's a feeling of love. I have this feeling. So let's look up the word feeling. And so when you look up the word feeling and try to attach it, here's what it says. It's one of the basic, the basic physical senses, one of which is touch. So <clears throat> when we watch movies, when we watch different things, how do people fall in love? Well, somebody touched my hand or, or when I hugged them, I felt something. When, when, when we got you will see a lot of times that touch is used as a way of sensing whether I love somebody. I, I just felt something when they walked in the room. I sense, I just knew it when I saw them. I mean, I knew the moment I saw them, I was in love. Because what we're building people on is we're building them on a feeling. And what we're teaching our children and teaching others is, what did you feel? What did you feel when you sent, saw them? Another way of doing it is a sensitivity, uh, and, and this can work in a lot of different ways. We do Facebook, and we do different things. So the remark, hurt her feelings, would be a statement. So I choose whether I love you, whether or not you hurt my feelings, or whether my feelings felt good, whether you... So we're constantly now, in this time, trying to make sure nobody gets too hurt. From children all the way up, we just want to make sure they feel loved. Make sure make, you don't want to you don't want to spank a child. Don't please don't discipline a child. You'll hurt their feelings and you'll 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 scar them for life. And you will. We're constantly worried about feeling because the only way to truly tell someone you love them is to make sure they feel good all the time. That's why if you play ball, everybody gets a trophy. 
You don't want to sit there and feel bad if so-and-so got a trophy and I didn't get a trophy and your parents have to cheer you up when you leave and say, look, not everybody get. I didn't get one. Everybody else got one. I didn't. That's why you have to have snacks. When did that, when did we start getting snacks after every time we played a game? Even if we lost, we still get our cups and we still got our, our juicy cups and we still get our bag of chips, right? That makes everything better. So even if we lost, because everything is feelings. Look at the person beside you and say, do you feel loved? Because that's, that's really when we talk about the world, it's a feeling now. Not only when we talk about sensitivity, but we also have to talk about being having a, a sense or a sentiment. Uh, what are you feeling about this subject? In other words, I feel like the more I'm with you that I feel like I love you. I feel like, in fact, you can even do this pre-sense. You can, you can say, I already know what they're going to say. I already know what they're going to I'm already disliking them before I ever met them. Because everything is built off what I'm feeling, what I'm sensing. You have, some people just walk by and they just look at you like they're ready to you know, knock your head off. Like, what do I do to you? It's like, I don't like you. You don't even know me. Yeah, but I know I won't like you. I pick people all the time because it's like oysters. You know, it's, it's like a lot of our guys, when they come on staff stuff, they know I love oysters, love going. And so one of the fun things to do is when we finally get together, like, we got to try some raw oysters. I don't think I'm going to like them, Pastor. I said, you've never eaten one. You've never tried it. How do you know you're not going to like it? I just, I just know I'm not going to like it. I'm just, 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 because everything now is, and guess what when they try it? They don't like it. Because they've already done determined they don't like it. I remember years ago we had some, we were cooking chitlins, and, uh, and we done got past all the bad parts. So, so it, was, it was no real smell. We were frying them then. So we were just frying them, and these two girls pulled up in their car, and they were looking for their sister or somebody. And, uh, and, and we said, well, we hadn't seen them. We hadn't seen them today. I hadn't been on the playground. And they said, hey, you want to try these cracklings things we got? And, and they were like, oh, yeah. It's like, we're frying them up right here. And, man, they're hot. Come on. Man, them two girls just ate about four or five of them. And I, I looked at them. I said, you know what you can never do now? They said, what? Don't ever tell nobody you've never eat chitlins because you just did it. And they were like, uh, uh. And I'm like, two seconds ago, you liked it. But I didn't know what it was. If I'd have known, I'd already told you I didn't like it. If I'd have known. So we can present stuff, the atmosphere. If you go to a haunted house and you walk into a haunted house, what have they done to that house? They've already put the weed eaters in there, and they're hitting the walls. They've got chainsaws in the closets. They've, got, they've hung spider webs and streaked it with red stuff to look like blood. And the moment you walk in, your senses are telling you, I don't like this. this I don't, I don't want to be here. I don't, I don't like being here. I don't. So the world who knows this and understands this is the way you choose love, this is how you, this is how you choose love, that's why the bachelorette, the bachelor is so popular because it fits our society where we'll just stick one girl with 30 guys and let her sense which one she thinks she loves. We'll just go through all this. And the world who understands that plays and toys with us all the time because they realize that we're not steady. In fact, with this kind of love, guess what? You can fall in love, but you can also what? Fall out of love. I just don't feel for you like I used to. I just don't feel like I used to. 
Oh, I, I feel real attracted here. I don't feel attracted there. See, the world plays on that, and we use different things to try to create feelings, like clothes. We use clothes. People sell clothes. You know why? Because they want you to, to, to look a certain way so that when someone sees you, they fall in love with you. It's like, oh, man, that, that, that outfit, that not only clothes, but perfume. Anybody see perfume commercials? They're the craziest things you'll ever see. They don't even make sense. But it don't matter because if you wear this perfume, you'll be irresistible. You wear this perfume, people won't be able to say no to you. They'll fall in love with you just because you got that Axe perfume on. People coming out of the side of a bus. I'm thinking, Really? Just because I sprayed that stuff on me, they're, I'm going to all of a sudden be irresistible now? How about hair? Don't even get me started on hair. We fix hair, do hair. We try to do Our style, our, the way we act, our personality, all of this is to try to cause someone's senses to be motivated to love us. Can you realize why now we're in such a crazy society where people Photoshop their photos, where it's all about this and glance, it's all, why? Because I've got to have a certain hair and style and smell a certain way and everything because I'm trying to get people to love me. And that's a lot of pressure. Because even if you get them to love you, guess what the possibility is? Pretty much guaranteed. They're going to fall out of love with you. That's why it says in Proverbs, when it talks about moms right there, it says, hey, beauty will fade. All the stuff that you're building on, it's going to pass away. What are you going to do then? When you, when you, in the hairstyle, the, when, when you can't put the right perfume, when you can't do anything anymore to make the other person. Because when we go down this road of, of, of this, it's almost like choosing puppies and dogs. If I was to go to Walmart today and I went and got me about five or six dogs, I mean, just full-grown dogs, and I put them in a pen and I stood down at Walmart and I said, would anybody want some free dogs? We got free dogs. Anybody want a dog, take a dog home? Mm-mm. Man, I got enough dogs. But if I go and I put puppies in a little pen, free puppies, and, and I got them sitting out there and people driving by. I can see kids with their face stuck. Oh, mom, they're gagging puppies. It's free. You got to stop. You got to. What? I hate to break it to you. They're all dogs. One's just packaged to look real cute. But sooner or later, when it grows up, somebody's going to say these famous words. Somebody's got to do something with that dog. Because it won't stay a puppy forever. It won't stay charming forever. And that's how we sell love. That's what we do. Oh, it's a puppy. It looks great. It's, it entices. Oh, my heart just, oh, I got to have that puppy. But when it turns into the dog, I don't love you anymore. I don't even care about it. Anybody feed that dog? We need to give that dog away. Hey, I think somebody ran over the dog. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> I am so tired of that dog. If they stole that dog, 
And if you're going to love that way, you're going to live in a chaotic world, always looking for the next puppy, always looking for the next good thing, the thing that smells right, looks right, dresses right. Everything is always, I'm trying to win, constantly win and entice you to love. Now, the Bible comes along and just totally does differently. In fact, let me give you a few quotes I love just when we understand love from a biblical perspective. Here are some quotes that you need to understand. Love is far more than feeling. It involves the whole being expressing itself in acts of devotion to the one it loves. One writer put it this way. The test of love is what one is willing to do for a person that they love. Love is never afraid of giving too much. One writer says, love sees what is good in a friend. Charity, it also sees in an enemy. Love is able to see not only the person that it's fond of, but even its own enemy, it can see qualities. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, and I like it the best. If we empty our hearts of ourself, God will fill them with his love. If we empty our hearts, if we empty our life of self, God will fill us with his love. Now, what does that mean, Pastor? What is it trying to say? Well, go with me to Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, and let me get us started. And let me tell you a little bit about when we talk about the Christian version of love. The world's version is falling in, out, always trying to keep your emotions, always trying to, to keep love, always fighting for love, always. So we need to understand when Jesus is asked this important question. Because even in Jesus' time, this was a big question. What is love? How does love work? And here's what he says. They said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, they knew the answer per se, but they wanted to hear what Jesus had to say on this. What is the great teaching? If we, if we took the Bible and, and if all of us said, okay, we can't tote a Bible anymore, but we're just going to tote one piece of paper, what would we write on that one piece of paper that would illustrate the entire Bible that we have? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. He said, that is the law. That is everything that the Bible teaches. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws of the prophet. So if I can figure out how to love, if I can figure out how to love God and how to love others, then I, I, I've solved everything. I fixed everything. Now, the problem is, is that we have multiple words for love, and we need to distinguish which loves we're talking about. So the first one, there's four in general that is described when we talk about love. Love, because if we say I love my house and I love my wife, we're talking about different things. If we say I love my job, and, and, and all right, we're talking about different things. We use the word love, but what are we meaning? Well, there's four breakdowns of that word. The first is called eros. 
Eros is a feeling love. It's a celebration love. It's what we see on TV all the time where people are falling in love and people just meet each other and it's just, oh, I just can't help myself. I'm just, I, just, I just fell in love. And we get all goosebumps watching Hallmark Channel and, and, and watching all the, the 10,000 Christmas movies in July on Hallmark on, on what is somebody falling in love. And, and we fell in love in a sleigh ride and we fell in love here and we put together a Christmas tree and, and all of these feelings and emotions. And so this is a celebration love. We all love watching this all. Tell us your story. Tell us your love story. If people ask me and Elise, tell us your, your how, how did he propose? Well, I would, I would tell them that me and Elise, we loved antiques. In fact, when I came back from college and knew that, okay, it's time to get back into ministry, uh, I, I worked at an antique place some just to kind of uh, fill in and when she had to go buy other stuff. And so I loved to sit there and just, well, Elise did too, but we hadn't talked to each other. We had dated for about a month and broke up. I went away to college. She was still in college. Didn't know if we'd ever see each other. And one day I was working there, and I'm walking the place, and all of a sudden I round the corner. And there she come, walking around the corner with her mom. And, I mean, she had, like, in that time, she had short overalls, like the shorts that just had the, the little stuff hanging, you know, like the, tie, the piece of thread and stuff. Man, she was dark, buddy, and she had that curly hair. I'm talking about curly hair down to here. And, and, and she had just a T-shirt with them overalls, and she would just be bopping around that corner. Man, when she did, I, this day I can see her in my mind. Bam! I'm like, let's get married now. I don't have a job, but I will get one. And that's what we love to hear. Man, oh, it's so romantic. And Well, a few months later we started dating again, and in the course of time, when I was going to ask her to marry me, where would I do this? Well, I, I went to the antique place, and I fixed up one of the rooms. I cooked the first meal I ever cooked for her, which was lasagna, and that's our favorite meal still to this day. So I fixed all antique stuff out, antique plates, antique everything. And I told her I had to preach somewhere. And, and so for her to dress up, and I had to dress up and go preach. And so I, I said, hey, there's a piece of furniture that just came in I want you to see. And when I took her into that room, that was it. And the whole crowd goes, oh, okay, that's arrows. That's like, oh, that's love. I wish we could have stayed in that room. Because it, it, that, you can't contain arrows. Eros is our moments. And, man, we love arrows. We love to watch it on TV. We love to, to see all the things. It's, it's a feeling. It's an emotion. It's, it's wonderful when it happens. The second is called storge. Storge is a family love or a community love. It, it describes a relationship based on the sense of loyalty or togetherness. In other words, I love my family. I, hey, I love my church. I love my, okay, it's a togetherness. We're, we're in this thing together. We're, we're, we're brothers. We're sisters. The, the third is friendship. It, it's phileos. Phileos is a friendship or companionship. It also goes back to the marriage. It all goes, goes back to someone you're very close with, someone who just, just is your is your is your just your connection. It, it's, it's just a total connection. So the first one and the second one, phileos and, and eros, are connected to marriage. The fourth of which is agape. Now, that's the one we hear all the time about church and everything. It's a foundational love, and it, it's a covenant love or a commitment love. Now, why is this important, Brother Lot? Because only in marriage, so when people ask me, Brother Lot, does the Bible te teach a lot about marriage? No. The Bible teaches very little about marriage. 
Because the Bible only deals with two loves, usually when it's talking about love. It doesn't get into eros love. It doesn't even get into phileos love. It doesn't get into companionship love. You'll see a few chapters, you'll see a few verses. Even when Paul in Ephesians says, husbands love your wives, wives be submissive to your... To your he stops at the end of it and says, now look, I'm talking about Christ and the church. He even stops and says, but I am also talking about husbands and wives. But I'm talking about the relationship. I'm talking about a storge relationship between the church, a companionship or a friendship or a community. But he said, I understand what you're saying. In this, there's also a marriage understanding. So when we're always trying to pull out scriptures about marriage, the Bible sticks strictly, mostly with a storge, which is a community love, or an agape, which is a commitment love. So it doesn't get into feelings. That's why it's very hard. So how do you transpose a world that lives by eros and a world that lives by phileos? How do you take that group and say, I want you to take those emotions, but I want you to become committed. I want you to become solid. So you see many times why we have problems when the Bible comes out and says things like, love your enemies. Love your enemies. How am I going to love my enemy? I mean, I don't like them. I don't, I don't, I don't like them. How am I going to love somebody I don't like? Forgive people even when they do you wrong. What do you mean? I'm not going to forgive somebody. Man, that hurt. So we have to understand that when it's talking about a love, he's talking about a love that's beyond you. It's not even a love that I can look at you this morning because we try to do that. Now, guys, I want you to leave here today and I want you to love people. Look at the person beside you and say, you can't even do what pastor's asking. It's not in you to do it. If you were given the commandment, you can't do it. Because this agape love that, that is, is so, it is beyond even us being able to grasp it or to hold on to it when the Bible says, love your enemies, love those who despitefully use you. If you throw a party, I love Jesus' illustration, if you throw a party and you're, and you're fixing to have this big banquet, you know who you're supposed to invite? Don't invite your friends. Invite the people who, who you don't like. Invite them over to your party. Now, would any of you do that? Hey, we're going to spend about $300, $400. We're fixing to get, I mean, we fixing to get some food, and we're going to all sit around and watch. Who are we going to invite? All the people we don't like. And we're going to feed them, and we're going to look. I ain't, I'm not coming to that party, Pastor. Well, how do you have that? How do you, how do, you do that? Well, go with me to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 20 through 27, and I'll explain to you how this love works. How this love works. It can't happen through your natural. When we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, when we talk about His work, most of the time we get into mystical or we get into things like tongues or we get into... And Paul deals with that in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. And we get caught up in that and we miss the whole picture of what he's trying to share. What he's trying to share is that everybody you're sitting beside this morning is a little different than you. Some of you found that out during worship. You're sitting there like, why are they making everybody stand up? And then you see somebody beside you like, and you're like, they're crazy. 
That, I, I don't need to be here. This is not. So it doesn't matter if, if what you do. One person's got a baby holding their baby, and that baby's like screaming or crying through the service. And the other person's sitting beside like, somebody ought to get that kid and get that kid out of here. They're in the middle of church. You've put a bunch of different people into the same room. And the, what he's asked you to do is love one another. Love one another. Brother Lott, I don't even like sitting by people in this building. I know. But love one another. So he talks about the Spirit, the work of the Spirit. He talks about prophecy and all these different things. But what he's really getting at is not whether you uh, jump and praise, whether you speak in tongues, whether you, whether you prophesy, whether you have the gift. He's not. He's saying that he's describing the differences of all the different people who sit in this room today. So what do you do with that? Well, the, the modern church says we're going to take all the people that don't like to cough and we're going to put them in one building. So we're all going to sit here, and if one person coughs in here, we're all going to look at them like, well, why did you cough? You messed church up. And then we're going to put all the people that like, I mean, just like to get after it, you know, come to get our blessing. We're going to put them all together. Let them have their worship. And then we're going to put some that like teaching, some like preachers that don't move. Man, you move, it just messes me up. And then we got some that said, I can't stand just standing there. It's like, I want to go to sleep. It's like boring. I don't want to... So we're just going to divide them up. And God says, no. Every one of you is different, and if you add all of those pieces to the same church, you have a beautiful picture of the ministry that I want to do. What it is, is training you in the Spirit to learn to love something different than you. And that's the whole purpose of love. Let me show you. But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again can the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now this is the, this is the chapter. He's talked about all the Holy Spirit. He's talked about all the spiritual stuff. And he says, the reason I've done it is because, no, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are what? Are necessary. See, the same person that says, well, you know, I don't like that emotional stuff and everything. Well, if, if the doctor diagnoses them with some disease, let me tell you something. I, will, I need somebody can breach God. I need somebody spiritual. I need somebody. Because sometimes the person you don't think you need is the person you need at that moment. And there's times when you're going to say, man, I got all this hooping and hollering. I just need somebody. And then there's somebody who very calmly says, let me tell you what the Bible says. And they teach. But if you put them all in the same church, it becomes powerful. Listen. As those members of the body which you think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpleasantable parts have greater modesty. What are you saying, Pastor? Well, I'm going to give you the illustration. I want everybody to stand up and take their clothes off real quick. We're just going to get naked real quick. Is that okay? No. No. Why? Because, listen to me, there's parts of you you strap up, you cover up, you put more on. You, some of you in this room do not wear open-toe shoes because you know your toes go like four or five different ways. And somebody said, man, you need to get some flip-flops. No, I don't wear flip-flops. No, I don't wear flip-flops. There's nothing wrong with that, but listen to what he's saying. Paul is just saying every one of us, even though we have a whole body, there's parts of our bodies that we're like, eh, we ain't going there. 
We can't say it's not part of my body. I got this rim right here. And I cover it up with a jacket and I'm doing, I'm like. <clears throat> but it's part of me. It's attached. And Paul said, listen, those members of the body which you think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. We buy, we buy $50 pairs of underwear. We, we buy expensive underwear because we want that. Oh, that's, that part's got to be covered up better. That part's got to be taken care of. That part. Them ugly feet, you don't buy $150 shoes for them just so you can stand to wear the heels off. It's funny. Paul's trying to be humorous, but he's trying to also make a point. But, next verse, verse 24, but our presentable parts have no need. Certain parts, we're like, man, yeah, I want to show that. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part that is, let lacks it. That there should be no schisms, there should be no divisions. That every one of us in this room should be able to sit here and respect and appreciate what every person brings to the some cry, some, some are worshipers, some are deep thinkers, some are great people of wisdom. Some, every person here brings something to the body of Christ. And God designed it this way, just like he designed your body, so that you would learn to love it, learn to deal with it, learn to accept that it, it's, it's all of me. The good, the bad, it's all of me. That there should be no schisms in the body, but the members should have the same care one for another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. That's what you are. You're individual, but yet at the same time, you're part of this body called to love one another. And that's chapter 12. See, go with me to Galatians 5 and 22. I'll show you what he was trying to say. But the fruit of the Spirit, the first one he lists is what? Love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. See, to be part of the body, which is what God's called you to do, you're going to need the Spirit of God to take you past what your normal flesh can do. Because your normal flesh, when it gets its feelings hurt, when it, when it gets offended, when somebody says something bad, when it even thinks somebody's thinking about me or somebody doesn't like me, you're going to withdraw. You're going to want to quit. But Jesus said, let me tell you what your calling card is into the world, is that we can go through the suffering, the ridicule, the shame, the persecution, and yet at the same time keep loving every individual that we meet. That is the church's calling card. And if we give away that calling card, if our calling card is built on the emotions just like the world's is, we're never going to impact this world. So go with me to 1 Corinthians 13. Now let's get to the meat of what he wants to say about love. Because chapter 13 is the love chapter, right? Where he talks about all these attributes of love. But he can't get to love until he gets past the Spirit. Because it's the Spirit that gives me the power to love the way I need to correctly. Let me show you why. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become as a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. 
And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. See, in a, in a church world where we're like, man, I, I, well, we just need a move of God. Let me tell you something. If you have a move of God but you don't love, it's not going to work. If we called fire down today, if I said, guys, I'm going to show you all something. I'm just going to put some wood over here, and I'm going to start praying, and all of a sudden fire comes down. And, and oh, brother, wow, that'd bring people. It'd bring people. But it wouldn't be long they'd all leave if it ain't built on love. If it's not built on love, it won't last. That's what he, Paul says. He says, and though I bestow all my goods and feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. It, it, it increases and gives nothing to my life. So this puts us in a problem because I can't just tell someone I love them without action. That's, that's not love. But then again, I can't just have action and not have some emotion attached to it. That's not love. Most of the time when I deal with conflicts and marriage and stuff, it, it's over that. It's over the understanding of love. Somebody will say, let's just say the man looks over at the wife and says, look, I do everything I can. I give you my check. I'm doing all I know to do. I'm working like a dog. I'm, I'm paying. I'm doing everything I know to do. And she's like, you don't love me. And he's like. And then on the other hand, he may fall to the other side. She may say, he just sits there on the couch watching TV all day. We got bills to pay. We got stuff to do. He won't get up. He won't help mow the grass. He just, I mean, he's just like his daddy. He don't love me. Which one's right? Both of them. Because there has to be more than words. There has to be action. But there can't be just action without the emotion attached to it. That's what, make love, that's what makes love so hard. That's what, I mean, if you said, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to forgive that person who hurt me, but I'm not going to forget it. Okay, you can't say you love them. That's our style of love. And Jesus is saying, listen, you've got to love the way I want you through the Spirit to love people. And to do that, let me see if I can describe it in this way. One writer said it this way. He said, from this passage, I presume that love is more than action and abilities. Love describes a passion or desire to meaningfully connect to people and truly care about them. To be whatever I need to be, whether it's action or word, to be whatever, because my whole goal is to connect to those people. My whole purpose is to make a relationship with those people, whatever is required. So love has to do with community and interaction and connection. Without meaningful interaction with people, there can be no genuine love. So if you're in this room today and you struggle with people saying, well, you just don't love, you don't do it. Let me tell you what's happening. Either one way or the other, you're falling you're either saying it without actions or you're doing all the actions and frustrated because they don't, they don't sense that you care. I can, I can take my kids to McDonald's and I can say, hey, here's, here's, let's get your food, let's get you taken care of, let's get... 
And they can still not know that I love them because if I make them feel like you're a burden to me, if I make them feel like, well, I have to take care of y'all, got to feed y'all, got to, then they're going to sense that I don't love them. And then if I sit on the couch and they say, we want something to eat, well, lick your lips. I ain't got no money. I can't help you. Well, they're going to realize, well, you ain't gonna, you're not going to get up. You're not going to cook. Let's see if we can find something. We're all hungry. Then they're going to sense I can't. Either way, God says what makes the Christian life different is that it's not built on emotions. It's built on the acts that we do built within us that we care genuinely about somebody. And because of that, it causes us to move. It causes us to speak. Now, let me show you these, a few of them real quick. Go with me to verse 4. And here's what it says. Love, if it's genuine love, it suffers long. The, the word there is not like suffering like we think. Somebody would look and say, oh, I, I love you, Lord. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't go through all this. That's not what he's saying. It means to be long-tempered. To be long-tempered. Uh, it, it, go with me to 2 Peter 3 and 9. Let me show it to you in Scripture. We are trying to imitate Christ, be like Christ, and here's what it says. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some count slackness, but is what? Say it out loud. Long-suffering. Now, that word, like I said, well, that means God just, just well, we're, we're hurting God's feelings. No, it means long-tempered. Let's say it the right way. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some think slackness. But God is long-tempered toward us, not willing that any of us should perish, but all should come to. So when people are asking many times, well, God ought to do something about that. God, God, ought, to, God ought to strike that. I mean, that person who hurt them kids, God ought to strike them down. God ought to fix that. Well, does that mean he needs to fix you too? Should he strike you down when you did something wrong or you stepped out of line? How about when you said GD and called him by a bad name? Do you think, I, oh, you ain't calling me that, bap. No, God is long-tempered. God says, my goal is that everyone would come to salvation. So if I lost my temper all the time, if I was someone who kept losing his temper, y'all would be in a world of hurt. You need to be thankful, God, because you ever done something and look up, Lord, I'm sorry, I didn't mean. God says, I'm long-tempered. Now, if you're going to say, I want to be a child of God, I'm going to live for God, then this is one of the qualities. Remember, I read in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering, long-tempered. So when somebody comes to me and says, Brother Lot, you know, I, I love the Lord, but I, well, I have a short temper. I, got, I lose it sometimes. No, you just don't know the Lord. Oh, I know the Lord. I'm just, no, you don't know him. Because let me tell you, one of the fruits of the qualities that's going to come out of you naturally the moment you know the Lord is that you will become long-tempered a lot more than you used to be. Things that you used to not be able to hardly stand, you'll be able to tolerate more than you've ever thought. And people will come along and say, Man, I don't see how you put up with that. It's just the Lord. It's just the Lord. If it wasn't for the Lord, I'm telling you, I used to be just like that. I used to be... Go with me to 2 Peter 3 and 15. I'll show it to you again. Here's what he says. 
and consider that the long-suffering or long-temperedness of our Lord is salvation. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. So Peter says, listen, I used to be short-tempered. I I was one of those that thought, I can love God and be short-tempered. I can love Jesus and cuss, you know, and cuss him out a few minutes later. He said, I figured out that Paul taught me through watching Paul that when you genuinely give your life, when you genuinely receive Christ, when you genuinely allow the Spirit to move in, something takes place. He said, what I saw was, I also saw our beloved Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written. He said, I saw his long suffering or his long temperance. Paul was shipwrecked. Paul was beaten. Paul was stoned at different times. Paul was imprisoned. And yet Paul constantly just kept steadily, steadily, steadily loving. Paul, you're you're in prison. No, no, I'm right where God needs me to be. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ. Don't worry about me. I've I've learned to be long-tempered. I've learned that God is not slack like we think slack, like he hadn't showed up. See, if if you're ever going to meet an atheist, this is always going to be the reason they're an atheist. It's not because they don't believe in God. Because there's no such thing as an atheist that doesn't believe in God. You can't hate something you don't believe in. So when somebody says, I'm an atheist, what do you got against God? It's not that they don't believe. And I'm going to tell you the number one reason why they become one. It's because something happened in their life and it didn't go the way they thought it should have went in the time they, well, if there was a God, why would he allow this to happen? If there was a God, why would he let this to And what they missed to understand is that God is long-tempered. That God is willing to endure a lot of slaps in the face because all he really wants is you one day to be saved. Now, I can't understand all the depth of that love. I try and through the Spirit to love those who pick on me. You know, we get the old saying from preachers and stuff, well, all they do is eat chicken all day and you know, they work a day and a half a week. You know, we get all the jokes. I get all the jokes all the time. But I can't imagine God who's, who made you, designed you, and yet the very thing that He made rejects Him, makes fun of Him. But God says, I'm long-tempered. It's okay. The second one that you find out is kind. If you're going to know true love, if you're going to know genuine love, real love toward each other is first long-tempered. The second thing is that it's kind and not cruel. Go to Romans 2 and 4 with me. Romans 2 and 4 says this, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? It is the fact that God doesn't strike someone. It is the fact that God doesn't just, just go and lose his temper. It's the fact that he doesn't, that people realize he must really love me. That God is good to you even though you're not good to him. That God is good to you even though you don't show any love toward him. 
That while you were yet sinners, he died for you. That he loves you. If you went down the road today and you say, I don't believe in God. I don't, I don't care anything about God. And a semi come off to the other side. And just by a miracle, you were able to get away, found just the right patch of dirt. It didn't drop off. You were able to get around it, get back on the road. And you got, let me tell you the first thing your brain would say, thank the Lord. Because let me tell you something about your life you don't realize is that God is good to you. God is good to you. I heard someone the other day talking about someone who had passed away. And we hate that, that, that someone got cancer or somebody did, and they were 50 years old or 60, and, and they, they seem way too young. And it's easy for us to say, well, why did God let that happen? But what if I were to tell you that over 50 or 60 times throughout their entire life, God prevented their death? That maybe there was a car wreck, or maybe they were supposed to drown one time, but God, God protected, and allowed them by goodness to get to 60 before they ever died. Would you change your mind about God then? The God who saved their life over 50 times, but the one time that he said, well, that's, it's time to come home, it's, it's, it's time. Now you're going to get mad at that God? Same God that saved them at 15, the same God that saved them at 20, the same God at 3, the same God when they were born a preemie and, and God didn't let them die. You're going to blame that God now because he didn't come through the one time your little pea brain couldn't figure it out? You better take a check on yourself because real love goes a lot deeper than just what you can feel. It goes a lot deeper than just the emotions you feel for just a moment. That's worldly love. But God says, no good gift have I ever withheld from you. No good thing will I ever hold from you. That's the love he comes at you with. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness? Do you despise it? His forbearance, his long suffering, Not knowing that the goodness of God is what continually is leading people to salvation? He's kind. Let me see if I can say it this way. His long-sufferingness bears our offenses. It bears the offenses of others. So when somebody does me wrong, my long-suffering long says, you can handle this, Tim. It's okay. But listen, love naturally gives. So I can't just say there and say, well, I'm just suffering for the Lord. No, I have to do something in kindness to go beyond just simply saying that I'm suffering. It's not enough to just say that, that I'm going to suffer. Jesus didn't come and say, well, I'm just going to hang out here for about three years and I'm going to die. No, the Bible says he went about doing good. He went about doing good. Shall we go further? Love is also continuously supportive. It's not jealous. James 3, 13 through 16, go there with me. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not sin, descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For when envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Welcome to America. Listen to me, when your love is only a self-seeking love, a self-interest love, 
He said, let me tell you where it ends. It ends with every evil thing happening. It ends up with all types of confusion in our world. And what we've replaced real love with is this emotional stuff that doesn't last. And we watch TV shows to see who's going to marry who next. And who's going to get with who next. And we think it's the coolest thing in the world. Do you realize how messed up they are? Do you realize? Paul understood it. And he wrote to the Corinthians several different times. And he said, listen to me. Don't be built up. Don't be haughty. Let me show you one more, and I'll get you out of here. The last of these that he shows us in verse 4 and 5 is do not, love is tolerant and is not provoked. The word provoke there means to not have sudden outburst of emotion. To not live by sudden outbursts of emotion. Go one more scripture with me. Go to 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25. For to this you were called, because Jesus Christ also suffered for us. Now, these scriptures are used a lot of times, because people will say this scripture all the time. They'll say, Jesus was our example, right? Have everybody ever heard that in the Christian? Jesus is our example. Now, when people say that to you, Jesus was our example, what do they usually t- say? Well, you know, we're supposed to love people like Jesus. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to be, we're supposed to do what we're supposed to do like Jesus did. No, no, no. I'm going to show you where this scripture is, and I'm going to show you what it means. Here's what it says. For this call, for this you were called. So you, every one of you in this room has been called. You have a calling on your life. Well, what have, been, what have I been called for? Well, let's look. Because Jesus also suffered us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his Okay, so what is his steps? Let's look. Who committed no sin? When you walk out of here today, you should not sin. See, some of you have been so brainwashed, that word even, that just that flies right over you. Because you've been taught we all sin every day. Well, I hate to break it to you, I have not sinned today. I did not sin yesterday. I don't remember sinning the day before that. I do not sin every day. There are moments and times where I may make a mistake. That's a beautiful thing because God says I have an advocate with a father. If I make a mistake or if I've done something like, oh, that was a brain dead movement. It's, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have. Then what do I do? Father, forgive me. I did not mean that. That's not who I am. I get up and I keep right on going without sinning. I don't just say, well, you know, that's just the way I am, God. <laughs> you know, probably tomorrow I'm going to do it again. No. That's not what you've been called to. You've been called to live just like Christ lived. The same spirit that was in Christ is living in you. And he said, listen, who committed no... Well, how do you do that, Brother Lot? Well, I guarantee you the Spirit's already told you the thing you need to quit doing. Then stop it. That'll be hard. It'll take the Spirit. But you can stop it. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Only reason you don't want to stop it, because you don't want to stop it. Quit using the excuse. 
Quit using Christianity as your excuse. If you're saved and called by God, one of the things that he does, you are a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, some things are new. No, you'd be lying. All things have been made new. That means all the junk you had, all that's gone, and that means all the good stuff done arrived. I know I'm messing some folks' theology up because you've just had it made. Just God loves me and he understands me and I can keep doing what I'm doing and he's going to love me anyway. Let me break the bad news to you. That ain't working. And that's why your life is where it is because you keep trying to mix God in with your messed up life and can't figure out why Christianity won't work for you. It's because you were meant to not sin, not to live as a sinner, to live free from sin. Nor was deceit found in his mouth. You don't talk, speak, you speak in love. Listen, every one of the things I just showed you, don't provoke me, all the things I showed you are inward, are inward. That first part of chapter 13, he talks about the inward things, what God's done to my heart that you don't, I'm not easily provoked. I don't envy. I don't, I don't have any of these inward problems so that I can love. Then immediately it goes to the outward. The second part of chapter 13, verses 5 and through 7, it goes to the outward part, and it talks about, hey, guess what? I don't use deceitful words. I don't do, so nor do I, is deceit found in my mouth. How do you fix that, Brother Lot? Tell the truth. If somebody got an ugly dress on, just tell them, say, that dress does not do you any good. You got too much of you hanging out of there, and there's too much stuff jiggling on the stuff hanging out. It ain't working for you, sweetie. Well, what would you rather tell them? It looks, it looks good on you. You might want to do a few things and uh, just tell them the truth. If you do, you'll sleep good at night. You won't have to remember what you said and, and somebody's going to come back and say, did you tell so-and-so? Well, you know, I didn't mean it. But what was I going to say to them? The truth? I had someone once tell me that about their husband. They would, they would do things together. And their husband would say things to them not to hurt their feelings. Their, their husband did not. And that sounds really good, doesn't it? But the only problem is, is if you ask that person later, later, hey, if your husband says something, would he lie to me? Yeah, if he didn't want to hurt your feelings, he's liable to tell you a lie. Well, I would much rather someone just say, he may hurt your feelings, but he'll always tell you the truth. Than someone who would probably lie to you because he just doesn't want to hurt your feelings. Jesus was willing to tell the truth in spite of your feelings. Listen to what else it says. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. In other words, when somebody said something bad about him, he didn't put nothing back on Facebook. He didn't send a text message out. How about this? When he suffered, he did not threaten. When, when he suffered, when he went through suffering, he didn't say, well, you're going to get yours one day. Don't worry. It's going it, to be hot in hell when you have to pay for it. No, when he suffered, he didn't threaten back. But committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to what? Sins might live for righteousness. So when you ever look up and say, Jesus is my example, 1 Peter 2 is your, is your scriptures. That's the example he set for you. 
to live without sin, to live without deceit, to live without threatening people, to live without criticizing people. In other words, he's called you to live in love. He's called you to love. Will you stand? Let me show you 1 Corinthians 13, 6, and 7. And this is the way it ends. 1 Corinthians 13, 6, and 7. They do not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoice in the truth. True love. If you want to have true love, real love, it bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes the good in all things. It endures all things. Love never. Let me tell you what the world is longing to see here. It's longing to see where the Christian community doesn't divorce at the same rate the world divorces. Where there isn't as many affairs in the church as there is out of the church where we don't love money the same way the world loves money. You know what the world's longing to see? is for somebody to make a commitment and say, I, when I say it, I mean it. What the world's longing to see is real love. Real love. And when they see that, they know it. Jesus didn't have a problem drawing a crowd. Throughout history, whether it's any preacher or church or any group, let me tell you something. When they can show genuine love, yeah, we may step on your toes or we may, we may hurt your feelings sometimes, but let me tell you the reason. It's because we love you enough to where we don't want you to live in an untruth the rest of your life. I'd rather you be mad at me for just a few minutes than one day you come look at me in the face and say, you didn't tell me. You didn't tell me. Your family would rather you hurt their feelings for a second than to not tell them or not love them. The world is longing. The world is longing. Your friends are longing for someone they can depend on. And I hate to break it to you, Jesus ain't coming back to do it again. You are it. He was your example for you to copy and in the Spirit love this world the same way He did. All that we've done at All Sea, all we've done in Forest has been because we live by that motto. Whoever walks through that door, we're going to love them. Doesn't matter their bank account, doesn't matter how big they are, little they are, they get loved the same way. Because love doesn't change. Love doesn't change. So today when you leave this place, I want you to ask yourself, am I ready to love like that? If I can't love like that, there's only one reason. Charles Spurgeon said it best. He said, I've got to empty myself so that God can fill me with His love. The Bible says it 
this away. Paul said, be continually filled with His Spirit. Be continually filled. When I go away and on my trips and I go away to pray and I do, it, it's not fun work. It's real simple. I can tell you what I do. All the weddings, all the funerals, all the people, all the hospitals, all the stuff that over years have just built up inside of me. All the faces and people I've prayed with and people that have broke my heart and people that have made me smile. I have to just get along with God and say, God, you got to get all this out of me. I got way too much stuff. I can't hardly go without something popping in my mind and something. I can't, I can't. It's just getting to where it's overwhelming. I know y'all don't ever deal with that in real life, but but I do. I wish I could tell you it was just an easy answer for it, but there's not. What you have to do is unload. Find a place like an altar and just say, God, I'm giving you this. That hurt me when this happened. I'm giving you this. God, so and so said something. I, that, that hurt. I'm giving you that. Whatever it is, you got to empty it. And you got to say, God, fill me with your love. Fill me. And that's the greatest feeling in the world when you can get up and turn around and you see the world differently again. And you aren't dragged down by all the junk. If you're in this room today, then you need to start that journey. If you're here and you're saying, Pastor, I'd love to walk out of here in love, but I'll be honest with you, just so much stuff in my life. So many things said in my marriage, so much stuff in my kids, my work. Just so full. And God says, let me in again.
you've said about yourself that God is love. And this world longs to see it. Not the stuff the Kardashians promote. Not the stuff this old world promotes or we see on some reality TV show. God, the love that you show through your Son to love his enemies. That's what the world longs to see. God, if there's a person here today that needs to unload, I ask that your spirit would just draw them. That he would just say, hey, we need to spend time together. I need to fill you up. You're running low. Father, let them listen to that call this morning. Bless us that's fixed to walk out face this world. God, we face it with the most powerful weapon there is.